Hey everybody, welcome back to Green Milk and Lane's Patreon channel. I am happy to be joined by my friend Jamie Faye today. How are you, Jamie? I'm good, Chad. How are you? I am good as well. Is uh is Faye your actual last name? Yeah. Like uh like it's like Irish, like fairyland kind of name, right? Well, <laughs> do, do you want the big story? Like Morgan my, Le Fay. <laughs> my, my real my my real last name should be Caprero. Okay. My uh, great grandparents came over from Italy, and they tried to pick a name that was more suitable for the Americas. So. <laughs> Bay is very much a simpler version of that. Yes. <laughs> and my uh, great grandma's made my great grandma's maiden name was Cuglieri. So. That's a great name. <laughs> uh, Jamie Faye, tell everybody you've been on my show before, so long-term listeners will know your name, but tell everybody uh, about yourself. Your kind of X-Men nerddom, where people might know you from. Um, I, I've worked on some independent comic books, uh, Neverminds and Sentinels. Uh, other than that, you probably know me from my X-Men redesigns and my X-Men artwork that I've been putting on the internet for two decades now. So uh, people have told me that I am the most famous comic book artist who's never drawn X-Men professionally. <laughs> you have a lot of characters like when you look up your a, a particular character, your art is the first thing that will pop up because you've done a lot of stuff with uh, some uh, obscure characters, if you will. It's a wonderful thing. I love obscure characters. You seem to have a particular love for the Imperial Guard. <laughs> uh, so the, the Dark Phoenix Saga is one of my all-time favorite uh, storylines, and I really love a lot of those characters that came out of it, especially like Lilandra and Imperial Guard and uh, the whole Deathbird uh, storyline that was like 90s, and then when she like started dating Bishop, so I, I have a thing for the Shi'ar. And then Sunspot, Deathbird's getting all over the place. Yep. <laughs> Vulcan, she's got a baby with a Vulcan. Yeah. I, uh, I actually love Deathbird a lot. I'm excited to get to her on my show one day. Once we catch up to the 70s things, it'll take me a minute because we're taking our time on this show. <laughs> uh, Jamie was just on with me on an episode we'll be releasing right around this time. We got the incredible honor of recording with Paul Jenkins on the series Wolverine the Origins, which I was expecting kind of nerdy punchy fun but it turned out to be like a very uh emotional experience for me that episode i left feeling like very grateful and uh like a little haunted it was it was it was really lovely so uh listeners watch out for that as well yeah it was a lot of fun he he is so smart and thinks so much about things and really does his research so it was really cool to get some of the background work that he had done it's wonderful to get to know creators and see how much of themselves they put into things. And to hear from someone who was part of a big company and now reflecting on it in uh, years later, you know, which is something I regularly get to do on this show. There's something just very special about that. Uh, now, when Jamie and I were talking about different characters to cover, I'm always leaning toward the 1960s characters that are supplementary because that's what my show's about. But I'm always happy when somebody challenges me to go to a different era of X-Men. Uh, one of the fun parts about this channel is it makes me do research in all these different eras and areas of the X-Men franchise, which is so huge. And one series that I had not read in many, many years was Extreme X-Men. Uh, and uh, Jamie chose a particular favorite character to focus on, which is the character Lifeguard. Uh, tell me about your uh, your collecting era. Like when you were buying the books, what's the stuff that you connect with most or that you remember most fondly? And then kind of uh, lead me to why you chose Lifeguard from there. <laughs> um, I would say uh, I first got introduced to comics like late 80s, early 90s. Uh, when did Roger Rabbit come out? That was actually the very first comic book I ever bought was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I feel like that was like 94. <laughs> uh, well, whenever that was, that was the first comic book I no, ever 19, had. No, 1988. I just looked it up. Okay. So that was my introductory to comic books. And my brother used to collect trading cards. And he is always like talking about Marvel superheroes. And he told me that Storm controls the weather. And I always thought that was cool. So from that point on, like Storm's been my favorite comic character. 
So I just started, uh, you know, getting in with the X-Men and I'd say it was Age of Apocalypse era where I really mm. got into collecting. And then uh, as the time went, I really liked everything with like uh, Operation Zero Tolerance. And then when the whole like X-Men broke away and came back together and it was that very tight-knit group of uh, Storm, uh, God, Storm. Wolverine, Rogue, Marrow, Kitty Pride, uh, Nightcrawler, Colossus. I loved that whole era. And then out of that kind of was the Grant Morrison and uh, Chris Claremont came back and with uh, with Extreme X-Men. So it was that whole timeline for me was really cool. And I really liked the teams and the creators on the teams. And it was just a a cool era for me in collecting. Yeah, the the books, we've talked about this on, on the show a few times, the books in the 90s expanded. The franchise became like seven different books. Wolverine and Cable and X-Factor and Excalibur and X-Force. And I mean, it went on and on. You had to like have a, a, a significant allowance or a job to be able to buy all these comics. Yes. Uh, and then in the early 2000s, late, well, late 90s, early 2000s, they reshuffled the books, which is something they've kind of done every few years since. And you had a you had a creator who'd come on and look at the list of available characters, and they're trying to find big names to bring in. Claremont left the books in the early '90s when Volume Two relaunched, and then he kind of came back a few different times. He's still involved nowadays, uh, but I think he's very clear about what type of editorial insight he wants <laughs> and what sort of creative control. He's also very partial to particular characters. And he got mm -hmm. to choose a lot of those characters for his Extreme X-Men run. Uh, if you were to summarize uh, Extreme X-Men in a paragraph, uh, how would you sell this book? What's it about? Wow. Uh, An extreme for everyone is X hyphen T-R-E-M-E, extreme. <laughs> I, I, I just think it was a very cool book where Storm picked a group of really badass powerhouse X characters to go out and search for Destiny's Diaries. And from that, there was so much other chaos and uh, alien invasion and other things that came from it. Yeah, it started out, uh, I don't know, you look at the word extreme for the early 2000s. This is an era where, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the movies and TV shows that would encapsulate this, but I can't, I don't have a good narrative um, for it but it's uh it's like the big splashy punchy explodey uh you know the 90s had like the big armor and the big guns extreme was more sleek kind of battle armor uh sunglasses a handgun or a laser gun <laughs> a, a sleek astronaut suit in space uh it, it was it was a different era for sure the book started out with a rogue team of X-Men, uh, which is funny because Rogue's on the team. Uh, Claremont got to take a lot of the characters that weren't being highlighted by Morrison and put them in a new space where they were really being pushed. This is a book without Wolverine, for one, but we get Storm, Cyclops. Well, until later. I said Cyclops. Storm, Rogue, Sage, which is, this is the book where Sage really gets to shine. Bishop, yes. Thunderbird, the Neil Shara character. Uh, I'm probably missing a couple. Uh, uh, Bishop. Bishop. Bishop was for sure in it. And they initially had Beast. this quest. A Beast was there too. That's right. They initially had this quest to do, uh, to look for Destiny's diaries, uh, predicting mutant futures. But boy, did that plot line get dropped quickly. And then they spin around <laughs> and do about 20 other things. One of the frustrating things about this book for me is Claremont was trying really hard to create a lot of new big villains, extra dimensional bad guys, and uh, a lot of just giant planetary threats, but they were based in interesting places like Australia, like we'll talk about today. Uh, he created a bunch of new characters. It's kind of a fringe area of X-Men history, sort of like... Um, like District X was, or mm -hmm. some of these books that just aren't thought of first. Uh, but it's fun. They're also really dense reads. When you read Extreme X-Men, they're very, very, very word heavy. And uh, Claremont loves to like describe the thoughts of his characters and what's happening, but there's still a lot of nuance as well. And it takes a long time to get to some of the payoffs. And some of the payoffs never happen. 
<laughs> but it's good. It's a pretty book. Salvador Larocca is one of my all-time favorite pencilers. Me too. Uh, it's really pretty. It was fun going back through this book. Again, I hadn't read it in many years, and it's certainly a different era of comics. Um, any thoughts on Extreme as we're kind of summarizing up that part of our conversation? Um, I I really loved everything about it. I mean, Chris Claremont is just a wordsmith, and Salvador Larocca is like he has such a distinct style. Like you can just tell whenever he's drawing something, and you know it's going to be beautiful. You find these like little hidden gems of stuff in every little panel that he does. And uh, that's something I've really appreciated with the books. I, at that point, that book was the book I looked most forward to getting every single month. Over, it's good, Yeah, it's a good book. And Claremont, uh, Claremont also has a way of like pushing his characters to the limits. Take yes. their powers away, give them a blade and uh, have them fight an extra dimensional monster, right? Like you go back to Kitty Pride fighting the Ungarai on Christmas in the X-Mansion. Yeah. It's like an early example of that. Or take Storm's powers away, but keep her on the team. Uh, he does that a lot with these characters as he pushes them to new spaces. One of the things about Extreme that's insane is he kills Psylocke early on. Uh, I which I was like issue two, two, two or three. Yeah, two or three. I, my understanding, and I haven't researched this myself, is that he had plans to bring Betsy back very quickly and to return her to her original body, but editorial things shifted and then she just didn't come back for a long time. Yep. Uh, which was a, a crazy thing to consider because uh, she's such a huge character and she was gone for so long and she was killed by a villain that most people can't even remember his name unless you, <laughs> unless you go look him up. Vargas. Vargas. Vargas yes. V-A-R-G-A-S. Yeah. The scariest <laughs> villain name of all time. Uh, actually uh, with the whole Psylocke thing, uh, I got to talk to Chris Claremont. I, I used to curate LGBTQ panels at New, at New York Comic-Con for the New York Times. And he was actually on one of them. We did a X-Men centric panel and getting to talk to him, Betsy was not supposed to stay in the Asian body for more than that storyline. What did he, things turn out had, different? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, so it was, he, he uh, told me all these plans that he had and I, he always said he would like to get a chance to go back and do like an X-Men forever for that time period. So I, w I won't spoil anything, but he was just, he, he's such a, a great creator and he has such a, an amazing way of looking at things and how he creates things and adds storylines it, it was it was really cool to get to talk to him a little bit yeah i can't wait to meet him someday i think i'm gonna get to this year which i'm excited about uh the uh the idea of uh characters the plan goes one way and then the comics take it a different direction and the yeah. <laughs> last three years that's happened many times in the x-men franchise uh right from the earliest cancellation on which we've uh we've covered on my show what is it about the character lifeguard that you love we're going to introduce her here <laughs> uh she to me is a direct reference to the baywatch series or franchise which is such a huge thing in this era of television Pamela Anderson running down the beach in her tight suit. Like this character is literally a lifeguard on a beach and her name is lifeguard. It seems to be a direct appeal <laughs> to that crowd in some ways. Uh, I, I just thought she had so much potential. Her power was so cool. Uh, I think it's almost a little bit cooler than Darwin who came out after her. Uh, their powers are very similar, but like her powers react to save other people's lives. It, it, it's like it, it secondarily protects her, but the powers morph to help others instead of like herself. Uh, so Dar I, Darwin, Darwin, for those that don't know, is an X-Factor character who, uh, well, he has, a, he has a long history. We'll cover him another time, but he, <laughs> he has the ability to automatically evolve to whatever the circumstances are to allow him to survive, basically. And Lifeguard's powers are similar, although they seem to work in a couple predictable, consistent ways. There's there's some specific signatures with her. But yeah, she's meant yeah. to save lives. She's meant to save people. Uh, so I just thought it was, it was a really cool idea, a really cool power. Uh, they set up stuff to really uh, take her to the next level. And then once I don't, you know, once he left extreme, 
it was like they did nothing with the character anymore. And then it was like she was almost gone until the whole schism era. And I got so excited because if you looked at those little like uh, uh, information sheets that came out, she was actually like on one of the teams. Uh, so I was like, oh, my God, they're actually going to do something with her. And then nothing, nothing ever happened. Yeah, she's kind of become a fringe character in the background. There's characters from every era that occupy that space. And there's just so many characters. You have to get just the right person to tell some lifeguard stories. But we deserve some <laughs> because she is an interesting character. And there's a lot about her that's not only mysterious, but also unexplored. And it has some really cool possibilities. Uh, absolutely. She also has a brother uh, named Slipstream. We'll talk about him as well. And he has some interesting potential. So let's introduce this. So it's it's X, Extreme X-Men number six. It's 2001. This is like MTV's version of the X-Men. Uh, I'm going to read the quotes uh, opening up this issue that introduces Lifeguard. Up north, a bit past Brisbane, along the shore of the Coral Sea, you'll find Surfer's Paradise. On a continent known for its spectacular beaches, this is the top of the list. Despite the matchless beauty of the Australian shore, these beaches have their dangers. That's why their lifeguards are among the best in the world. And one of the best in paradise is Heather Cameron. Have you ever been to Australia? I have not. I have it, not it's it's one of those, it's one of those on, on the bucket list. Uh, actually, I really want to go to New Zealand first because of the whole Hobbit. But it's also because of another <laughs> uh, another movie, uh, Heavenly Creatures. Sure. So I, I would love to go see uh, uh, film filming areas for both of those movies. It's uh, it's a, a, a dream trip. One of my favorite things about this character is the fact that she does have an Australian accent, which I will not attempt, listeners. You recently heard my attempt at a Russian <laughs> accent on this show, and it was something I regret, but we'll publish anyway. <laughs> so Heather Cameron, in her initial appearance, she's watching the waters from her lifeguard station. She meets uh, Neil Shara Thunderbird, who is an Indian mutant as in a mutant from India who can shoot hot things. That's kind of all you need to know about this guy. He's, he's someone that Claremont tried really hard to make happen and nobody ever seemed to like him very much. Uh, do you have any thoughts? He's, a cool, he's he, a cool character too. He is. There's, there's some of these, uh, I think every reader has certain eras where you just have characters that you latch on to that are so special to you. I was talking to someone to, the other day who's very nostalgic for like Bird Boy from the, from or Bird Brain, I mean, excuse me, bird from brain. the uh, from the New Mutants, uh, or you know, someone loves Leech and Artie, or you know, like there's there's these characters. Yeah. Thunderbird is a cool character with a lot of potential as well. That's also worthy of more conversation. Uh, so Neil walks up to Heather. Uh, her brother Davis is out there surfing and the like lifeguard alarm goes off because there's a big fucking like great white shark approaching, which is such a strong opening for this because uh, that's the worst thing that can happen on the beach. Uh, Thunderbird scares it away with plasma. A storm shows up. They get Davis back to the shore. Uh, Heather's getting ready to perform CPR on her brother, but storm zaps him with a lightning zap and then revives him. And he immediately starts flirting with her. Uh, <laughs> later we see Heather having coffee with Neil. They're flirting a little bit, but also his girlfriend Psylocke had just died like two issues ago. Uh, and, uh, Davis is flirting with storm a little bit. We're going to learn more about these characters, but just based on this initial appearance, we're seeing the little pretty white Australian surfers like hanging out on the beach and then immediately flirting with the X-Men, which is almost <laughs> my favorite part about the whole thing with them. Is they're immediately like, oh, hi, you're hot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what are your uh, the thing on this I, introduction? The, the thing that I thought was kind of funny that you brought up Baywatch is she looks so much like Pamela Anderson when she's on that guard stand looking out at the ocean mm -hmm. I mean and they even put her in like they put her in red a lot and like her bathing suit was red I think the dress she wears later is red and then her main costume is mostly red so uh I think they're really going for uh, buxom blonde. Mm -hmm. There are direct things in Marvel where they're like, oh, that's popular. Let's do that in a comic book form. And I, this feels like a direct, I don't have proof of this, but it feels like a direct Baywatch, not ripoff, but, uh, but tie in at the very least. Like let's put the hot blonde in the red swimsuit <laughs> and put her on the team. So it turns out that um, Heather and Davis Cameron have a dad. His name is Miles Warbeck. This is one of those, 
characters that Claremont created that kind of never went anywhere. Uh, he's a local crime boss, but he's never told his kids that. Uh, so he gave his kids up to a local family called the Camerons uh, for adoption, and they grew up pretty happy. Davis became a surfer. Heather became a lifeguard. But then there's a point where Warbeck gets murdered by another crime boss. There's a guy named the Examiner that we're just not going to talk about today. <laughs> and the X-Men are there to help because now they are after these kids because they are part of this like Warbeck line. This is one of, and we'll, we'll say there's about four things with Lifeguard that there's one, one uh, this is the first of the really big stories that never really got explored or fleshed out to me. This idea that she grew up in a home that wasn't hers, her like legacy is a secret, uh, this connection with her dad, but we've never seen them interact. Uh, do you have thoughts on this origin story? Uh, it was, again, the character has so much potential and they set her up to have so many really cool stories and then they just did nothing with her. Mm -hmm. So uh, part of me and my love of like C&D list characters are any character can be cool if someone actually shows them attention like vibe from dc comics got his own comic book for a while and it was kind of cool but it, someone sure. took a chance and actually you know took some time to flesh the character out and make him cool and when we finish our conversation today i have some ideas uh, about what would make lifeguard great like what stories can we tell with her that would make us really jump in and care about this character well if you want to talk about it later, I actually have a fan fiction. Ooh, I do uh, want to talk about it. <laughs> pull, 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 pulling, pulling some of these uh, storylines to the forefront and actually answering them. I uh, I would love that. Uh, I would love to hear more. And I don't know, I, I need to give, I think my listeners are probably hearing, I have like a deep respect for everything x-men really truly there are some series that for some reason just kind of have eluded me a little bit so when i when i say something like claremont really tried to make thunderbird happen instead of like thunderbird's an amazing character which i actually genuinely think there's something about extreme x-men that never hit like top shelf with me i uh i i, I need to give it more of a dense read there's just a couple of those eras where I like the books and I've read the books, but they just don't stick in my heart of hearts like some of the others do. I'm, I'm realizing I sound that way as I'm talking about this, but I don't mean to not, like, I really enjoy it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's I, all I, throwaway villains, rah, rah, rah. Says the guy, like, you know, making people care about grotesque and changeling from the 1960s. <laughs> I, I think that time of that era, New X-Men was so humongous and doing such great things that it overshadowed everything. And then I feel like Chuck Austin with Uncanny X-Men was so nuts and all over the place. And Extreme X-Men just was. It was just like, it was not trying to tie into anything. They were they're on out on their own mission. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like you were reading a miniseries that, I mean, has an effect on the storyline, but really doesn't move the storyline along yes certain storylines get really expanded but it's just so separate I, yeah again i need to give it more uh i need to give it a little bit more room in my uh my heart space uh I'll, I'll, i'm gonna read it again uh sometime soon and and find that space i've also uh i've also been focusing so hard on the 60s characters and none of them are really in extreme except for beast uh okay. i i i'd have to give it more yeah anyway uh, I fully <laughs> fully admit that I have biases at times. Uh, it's weird for me to see Storm flirting with this like young blonde surfer kid right away. She's like entertaining thoughts of a tryst with him, but he's super hot. So also I get it. Like go, go for it, Aurora. I understand. I, I always looked at it that that was Pamela Anderson and David Chokichi from, is that how you pronounce his name? From Baywatch. I, I There's just the two know. hot blondes. The two hot blondes. <laughs> Uh, so the Davis kids both turn out to be mutants. Uh, I just said the Davis kids, the Cameron kids both turn out to be mutants. <laughs> also, their mom is a member of the Shi'ar, which we'll get to in a revelation a little bit later. It's a weird flip that never really goes anywhere. Uh, some local mercenaries attack and Heather's skin suddenly turns golden. She's surrounded in armored skin. 
The villains are defeated and she admits out loud that she's kind of secretly been using her powers to help save lives while she's working, which is kind of cool. You see her maybe growing gills or a fishtail or some like webbed arms or something once in a while to like help people out. But this is her signature. The thing that makes this character send out, you always have to have like the power signature. For her, it's this golden skin. No matter how she transforms, she seems to stay in kind of a bright gold color. Uh, whereas Davis's powers, do you want to talk to us about Slipstream? <laughs> uh, this is one of those characters that I could actually do without. I feel that he was totally a product of the time period. He he, thinks Silver Surfer meets uh, Lila Cheney. I think would be That's the best. Fair. He creates what they call warp waves, which are like funnels of spatial energy that kind of allow you to move quickly between two places in time. I think is that a, is that a, not not uh, not in time in uh in space. I mean, like you can go from yeah. one place to another. Uh, that, yeah, that's probably, that's probably some, right? Uh, <laughs> well, it's just, it's like, he, so he's always on his surfboard, which he gets this like cool mechanical looking surfboard, but then it's just like, he's just surfing through the air and he can teleport or whatever you want to call his powers more than like someone like Nightcrawler. So I, I thought Lila Cheney was probably the next best one because she can go further distances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those powers that's not easy to sum up in a few words, but the yeah. word slipstream weirdly weirdly captures him. <laughs> it works. Um, so they uh, these characters learn who their dad was, but they also don't really care that he's dead very much because they never really knew him. And now the yeah. X Men are trying to protect them, but also keep training them. And they very quickly end up in a battle with Lady Mastermind, uh, the daughter of the original Mastermind. Well, one of the two daughters who has telepathic illusion abilities. And it's here where we see Heather growing golden wings for the first time. Uh, do you want to talk about Heather's little relationship with Sage through this section? Because it's it's a little bit wild. Sage, uh, well, do, do you want to tell us about Sage first? Do you, is that a character you'd like to talk about? Oh, I, I love Sage. Sage, uh, she started off as Sebastian Shaw's, like, secretary, basically, for the, or assistant in the Hellfire Club. And it turns out through uh, the story that she was actually Xavier's very first uh, student and that he planted her in the Hellfire Club to keep an eye on them. She's also the one that found him when he was paralyzed uh, by Lucifer in Tibet. She's the she's like she helped him get out of that cave when Narak was on top of it, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> she has like a computer brain and yeah. also a telepath, and she processes data and can like sometimes unlock genetic or biological things within people by using the data that she assesses. Again, we'll give more love to this character yeah. in, in the future on my show. <laughs> But she starts to unlock things for Lifeguard, thinking that she's going to need to be pushed a little bit. Uh, Sage, to me, I feel like the book Extreme X-Men is mostly about Sage. I feel like she's kind of the character with the most backbone or the through line through it all. That's probably oversimplifying a little, but it's a very much a Sage story to me. I think like he just wanted to have a character that was his own that he could throw in and really do stuff with. And since he had this, you know, throwaway character, like I thought it was so weird when she was brought in right before it was like, who's this Tessa character? Who is this? And then I had to like do some research and I was like, really, he's going to use this secretary for Sebastian Shaw as the main character, one of the main characters. An and example of making to... people care about obscure characters. Exactly. Yes. And, uh, you know, here was this throwaway F, F-less character that now is, you know, one of the best characters in the book. Yeah, she's uh, she's being used on X-Force in uh, Krakoa Poorly. right now. Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> but being used. Uh, I, think that's yeah. argu- I think that's arguable. Mm, she has a place of prominence that she has not had for a long time, but they also made her a drunk. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> And that just, for me, I feel like that doesn't fit the character at all. 
she she is so smart and knows the ins and outs of everything she she would never allow herself because it would compromise everything to do with her so lady mastermind attacks but sage is manipulating events to try to push heather's powers to new limits in this little arc we see her grow wings we see her fly we see her spout her and this is i think the look people most associate with her she sprouts her mermaid tail for the first time (laughs) but when she realizes sage has been manipulating her she's pretty pissed off which is kind of the first really big emotional reaction we see from this character uh but it works and lady mastermind gets defeated and lifeguard starts to learn how to control her powers a little bit uh she never gets quite the spotlight that i'd hoped for i kind of wanted like one issue that was all about her but her story yeah. kind of mixed in into big, complicated battles that take a lot of research because there's a lot of villains <laughs> running around and a lot of characters running around. Uh, any thoughts on this early stuff with Lady Mastermind and Sage? Uh, I just thought it was such a cool story. And again, the, the art was stunning. So it was it was cool to see like when she first hit the water and had the mermaid tail and uh, the way that... Uh, Salvador Laraca drew her armor and the way it was colored it it just looked real at certain points it was just uh it's very pretty I was gonna say yeah very pretty and uh for for me it's all about like writers and artists working well together so like my favorite book that I tell people to go get it's the writer and the artist work so well together that you can't see the book without one or the other being part of it so lifeguard and slipstream then get involved in two very big battles with giant armies with these villains that are huge that probably deserve their own patreon episode but we're not going to spend a lot of time on them today (laughs) we briefly covered vargas we talked about miles warbeck we talked about the examiner uh now they're fighting a guy named shaitan do you want to give thoughts on shaitan I don't have a lot to say about this guy. Uh, that I feel like that was just kind of a throwaway story. I, I it felt like Claremont was trying, uh, like he didn't want to use the same characters, but they, I don't know, they tried. Uh, Shaitan is uh, the leader of an extra-dimensional army, uh, f- uh, led by a guy named. Khan, Khan. Uh, K-H-A-N, and Khan is an alien emperor who's basically trying to conquer Earth. That's really that's all <laughs> I'm going to say. It's more complicated than that, and there's more nuance with these characters, but basically Lifeguard gets captured, and Davis's powers as Slipstream uh, develop, and then he helps save her. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of all you need here. Uh, she fights back a little bit. She saves some soldiers and protects some people. It's very much just a giant, punchy, beautiful uh, art for the eyes kind of thing. But yeah, uh, the story is a little elusive and <laughs> a little inconsequential. But I, uh, again, I'm sounding super biased. Oh my goodness! I normally well, have was... more reverence. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. I think at that point, it was like because the new X Men was doing so good. All the other books just had to try to do these big, bold things to get some of the spotlight, and it would have made more sense if it was a bad guy that we knew if it actually had consequence, but it's like, here's this like interdimensional alien invasion and no other superheroes really come. Right. Right. Uh, and Marvel for <laughs> sure has a lot of those. I remember uh, in Busey's Avengers, there's a time when Kang conquers the entire earth and like builds a base in DC and you're like, why isn't this happening to the rest of the world right now? Because <laughs> yeah, there's these other yeah. books. But that's just, you know, that's Marvel. You have to believe it happens in between the issues or something. Uh, okay, let's jump up to issue 12. Lifeguard's now part of the team, along with Slipstream. Uh, Khan is still fighting. They're still saving civilians. She's getting much more bold now. Uh, and she helps tend to their ally, Red Lotus. Do you want to talk about Red Lotus at all? Yeah, he's another character that has some potential. Uh, I thought for a while he was going to become part of the team. But again, that never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's a martial artist who is like part of the crime syndicate, but like allies with the X-Men. And he has a cool look to him. I, I like this character a little bit more. 
Uh, Sage explains Lifeguard's powers out loud to her uh, during this issue, in issue 12. Uh, she says, in your case, Lifeguard, your body adapts to a perceived threat by immediately evolving an appropriate response. When the threat is passed, you revert to normal. You have a very fluid genome, but there are anomalies. And Sage wanted to help stabilize Lifeguard's genome, but Lifeguard was not interested because she does not like how Sage has messed with her and her brother. They're still fighting Khan's forces. Uh, then Sage forcibly transforms Lifeguard, makes her skin golden. Her hair's all textured and feathery. She's got tattoo markings around her eyes, and she's fucking pissed. Uh, let's talk about this much before we delve into the Shi'ar revelations of this character, which are bizarre. Uh, it was, at one point, I started, like, getting the idea because of the eye markings, and it was like, those kind of look like Shi'ar eye markings, and the hair kind of looks like blooms, and uh, I, I loved, I believe it was that issue that the cover kind of made her look like Syl from, uh, oh god, what was that movie called? Species, species. Never seen it. Oh, it's it's a crazy alien movie from the nineties, and uh, the cover I think is a direct, uh, like a direct homage to that movie. Uh, this is another area for lifeguard. Her relationships with the other team members. She's got some flirtations with Thunderbird, some anger towards Sage, but this is another area where I think the character fails to shine a little bit for me because she just isn't really close with any of the other characters. She's part mm. of these big action sequences, but there's very little attention to giving her kind of a voice or a personality or a way of interacting. You look at the early X-Men, Wolverine and Nightcrawler, Wolverine and Kitty Pride, Storm and Kitty Pride, Kitty and Colossus. They all have like interchanges, relationships. And, and that's lacking here for me with her. She gets more airtime than a lot of characters, but never really gets those relationships. How do you think she relates to her teammates besides Sage? How do you think she relates to Storm and Beast and Rogue? Um, I feel like... It was almost like they never gave us one of those issues where the characters just got to be characters. Like they just lived a daily life. And some of those books are always the best where they're not fighting crime. They're just living. So like uh, the X Factor psychologist uh, issue where he like, they're all just being interviewed by a psychologist. That issue was so good oh and yeah or the x-men playing baseball games outside yeah christmas presents yeah that, that's the character development stuff yeah they they i feel with uh heather and uh davis they just were just thrown in and it was almost like they knew all of the characters they they it was like after that first couple episodes where they i mean issues where they were uh flirting with the characters and going out and dancing and stuff like that yeah, it was like yeah. that that that's all they needed and they were best of friends at that point uh i i really like the dynamic between heather and sage because heather was just constantly like just pissed at her because everything was happening because she was just doing whatever she wanted basically but what she was doing was helping but well, uh but without consent well, sage is doing like yeah. some professor x level shit here <laughs> yeah yeah but what would you expect for the person that Xavier molded to be a spy? Yeah, that's fair. I, I again, <laughs> I like Sage, but I don't blame Heather for being pissed here either. Oh no, not at all, not at all. She she deserves to be angry, but I kind of liked that there was that little bit of think of like Kitty Pride and Emma when they were on the same team. Like Heather always had her eye on Sage. Like, what's she gonna do next? I'm I'm just barely it's just barely dawning on me. I'm wondering if they name her named her Heather because of Heather Locklear, who's like Pamela Anderson lookalike from like 90210, right? Uh, <laughs> Melrose Place. Yes, yes, it seems very. Yeah, I, I don't oh, know. Chad, you, you, Excuse me. You 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 might have just lost your gay card. I wasn't out at the time. I was fantasizing <laughs> over Andrew Shue on Melrose Place when I was in high school, but I wasn't out yet. <laughs> okay, so Sage has triggered this transformation. Uh, then Heather starts to like mutate even farther, like more reptilian with stripes. They fight Vargas. 
one of the aliens in this fight calls Heather a Shi'ar. Then she mutates even farther into like a bird form. She feels like she's losing her humanity. Uh, one of those many examples we see of a mutant whose powers have gone out of control. Uh, picture like Rogue sucking in people's energy and souls and life force and she starts to lose herself. You kind of get that sense of she's in crisis here. Uh, and Sage is like very cold to her. She's like, you can adapt later right now. We're at war. And Bishop surmises that Heather's birth mother might have been someone from Shi'ar royalty. So this is an interesting thing with this character because it's never clearly stated who her mother is or even if that's a thing. It's hinted strongly that she has a Shi'ar line or that she's half Shi'ar, but it's never explicitly stated. Uh, before we move on, uh, tell me your thoughts on the Shi'ar connection for her. Well, that that's part of my fan fiction. I... Uh, uh, there's a lot of potential because when you think of royalty, there's either Lalandra or Deathbird. So that then opens up more storylines to being like, she could actually be going onto the throne of the Shi'ar because she's the rightful heir. So I just think that, again, this character has so much potential if someone actually just went back and spent some time on her. And the whole Shi'ar the Shi'ar aspect is such a cool idea. So you think it's Deathbird that's supposed to be her mom? In my fan fiction, it's Lalandra, and there's a very specific reason for her powers. Do you want to talk about that now or save it? Or sure, not? sure. Yeah, sure. let me hear, because this is the interesting thing here. <laughs> so my idea is uh Lifeguard was actually the daughter of Lalandra and like a king of the scrolls as a way to broker peace between the two empires. Okay. Well, Lalandra finds out that the king scroll was actually just using her to be able to like manipulate her to take over the Shi'ar. So Lalandra spirits her away to Charles Xavier after they put her through a machine to give her human DNA so that she can be hidden among the humans while Professor X keeps a close eye on her. And the whole reason they went to Australia was because he got he got incoming information from the Shi'ar about Khan coming. So they went there early to get Tessa, uh, Sage, she had like her background work was to get them there to get them into their custody so that they had some protection. The Shi'ar we have not covered on my show. The very quick version, it's basically Game of Thrones, but in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a group of siblings who've all been vying for the throne. There's secret societies and assassinations and affairs and space pirates and like the imperial guard which is like uh the justice league in space and like conquering territories lilandra is the fan favorite character deathbird's her evil sister dickens her even more evil brother uh and so th the idea that heather has or heather and davis both have uh, uh tie-ins to this throne is really interesting there are a couple of shiar human hybrid characters out there the most famous or popular right now is zandra who's the genetic daughter of Charles Xavier and Lilandra. Uh, Vulcan and uh, Deathbird have a baby and an egg out there somewhere that has never been hatched yet. And uh, there's a character that was introduced in the recent Marvel series by Kurt Busiek. Her name is Warbird. Uh, she is a black, I think she's Wakandan, I think. Uh, but she's half human, half Shi'ar. Uh, and there's probably a couple more. So it's interesting to add that potentially to the list because... This is the thing almost more than anything else that makes Heather fascinating to me. Number yeah. one, her crime dad that she doesn't know. Number two, her Shi'ar heritage. Uh, number three, when she sees her powers start to spiral out of control and what that does to her psyche, because we see her start to really adapt here and like lose herself in different forms. Uh, there's there's some interesting elements for her. I'll get to the fourth thing in a little while, but there's some really interesting elements that make this character stand out a little bit to me. Um, any thoughts there? There's a, there's a scene where she's just talking about like she's evolved and changed so much that she used to look at people and see how to save them, and now she just looks at them as prey. Yeah, now I now I see blood. I want to I want to yeah into them and fly away. 
and she really pulls away from Davis as well, which is which is interesting. And her brother, I don't feel like ever gets a lot of character. We could talk more about Slipstream another time. Well, he pulled away from her though. That's true. He's creeped out by her. Like he doesn't understand yeah. her changes. Uh, like I don't like the way you look now, which is which is it's interesting. There's <laughs> there's some things to explore there. Uh, and then Viper's there, who I love, Madam Hydra, green-haired Viper. But we'll we'll talk more about her another time. In issue number nineteen, we see Heather quit the team. Uh, Thunderbird asks how she's doing. Do you want to do you want to share what she says back here? Or I can I can go if you don't have that handy. Uh sorry no you're good let me let me just continue so he says how are you doing and she says as well as can be expected under the circumstances which stink but i'll handle it always have i'm a survivor can't stand rooms anymore no space to spread my wings funny isn't it a little a while ago i didn't have wings now everything about them is second nature heather cameron is a stranger i've become a whole different person my brother called me a monster i think he's right neil i was a lifeguard I use my power to save lives. Now I relate to every person I see around me as prey. Lucky men, I'm not only a mutant. Excuse me, lucky me, I'm not only a mutant, I'm a half alien. Just like my brother. Except he was a latent mutant. His kids or grandkids were supposed to have powers, not him. And she vows to go after her brother. Uh, I'm a natural born predator, she says. I can find anyone. And Thunderbird agrees to go with her. And they are written out of the book. And that's kind of the end for her in a lot of ways. What are your thoughts about this speech? Because this unlocks the thing about her that I think is my fourth favorite. The the thing I want to see explored more than anything. What I kind of liked about it is it made me start thinking of possibilities for her. So the way that she talked about, like, I'm a natural born predator. I can find anyone with her whole look. And everything it started to make me think of Dawnstar from Legion of Superheroes. So I was like, is she going to be able to start finding people? Uh, sorry, not not Dawnstar, Shikari from the uh, Legion Lost series. Like she can just open up portals. So she can find anyone. And I just thought it was so cool that with all of around that time, there was a lot of second mutations coming about and in characters. So it was like almost like this was a second or even third mutation for lifeguard and again it's like this character just has so much potential if they went back and really tried to do things with her there's just this untapped potential of some really really cool stories do you know the story i kind of want here's number four i think lifeguard would make a fucking amazing supervillain I, oh, no. I know that'd be a dark turn and there would certainly be some redemption, but I think there'd be something fascinating about seeing her kind of give into this darker nature and then really wrestle with what that means for her. Cause she's talking about desiring blood. She's talking about being a natural born predator. We send her off into Shi'ar space as part of some team and she ends up on a dark path. I think there's some really interesting potential to mine there for her character. Not that I don't want to see her redeemed, of course. But <laughs> I think that I think that would give us some personality and some consistency as the girl who used to save lives, but now wants to take them. Because that's kind of where Claremont leaves her. And I think I think that is a really fascinating thing to explore. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that seems to break your heart a little bit. <laughs> well, it's for, for me, because of my like, my idea for her, it's the totally opposite direction. So for me, it, it's she needs to find her heritage so that she can get herself back to herself, but also her powers are changing and they're evolving and she needs to know what's best for everyone, but she can't figure that out without figuring out who she is. I uh, I feel like she would have a really good spot in like an X-Men Unlimited, uh, like the Infinity book that's out there. We could do a couple issues about her that would be really interesting. Uh, we have seen her on Krakoa just in one panel. <laughs> She's in the Green Lagoon hanging out like in her little mermaid suit. Uh, yeah. But that's not enough for sure. No. So no, I, I have this like whole storyline about it. It actually is part of the reason I started doing my redesign work. Um, it started with I, Dazzler? I, well, it started with Dazzler. And 
Dazzler is part of my storyline, but then I was like, okay, well, what can I do with characters that aren't really being used that have some untapped potential? Well, then that broke into her and then that broke into Thunderbird that broke into other characters that I would have in my book. But like, I would look at this storyline as like a, like a five issue mini series. The uh, the fans who also write stories about their characters, it makes me so happy. I write X-Men stories all the time. It like challenges <laughs> my writing brain. I've written prequels. I've written character breakout stories. I've written one page and five page and eight page versions of things. Uh, when these ideas are in my brain, I'm like, one day I'm going to use all these in, in major books. But I love hearing you like plot out your world. There's something like, uh, there's something like very little boy about you sometimes and like the way you enthusiastically <laughs> approach the things that you love it's very cute you're like yay my, my, I'm writing a whole story yeah, well, makes me happy it, 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 it's life sucks sometimes and if something can make you smile just go for it and yeah yeah I, I, I love art I, I love this fandom it really bothers me when people like make the fandom not fun because that's what it's supposed to be is fun. It's supposed to be a little break from reality. And uh, so get, getting to like spend time with these characters that we love is kind of cool. And it, you know, it just kept pushing me to do more stuff and, you know, getting to redesign as many characters that I have and come up with the storyline that I did. Like I had, I had a quiet council before there was a quiet council. I had all the mutants leaving earth before they all left the countries to go to Krakoa. I had them going to the blue side of the moon though. Sure. Uh, so it's just cool to like, to see how people can take ideas that have been started in the comic books and ideas that have been dropped and how you can weave and create these great stories out of it that will never see the light of day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, you don't say never. You never know. Well, maybe uh, when when you're crafting a team book, you've got to have the right members, the right balance of personalities. They all have to have character arcs, but there has to be something that unites them. There's got to be a base and some tech and a mission for them to go on. And so when you know when you compare X Force to Excalibur to X Factor to Extreme X Men to whatever Exterminators, they're all very different premises and the way they pay off and the way people use them. I think lifeguard with the right purpose and the right relationships would be someone people start to care about more. I do think she has a very cool visual effect, the uh, the golden armor. I think her not knowing her past and like being overcome. Uh, so, I mean, we can blame Sage or we maybe it's just the way her powers develop. She's put into a situation where she has to rescue someone and then she adapts into a particular space. And, you know, you grow the wings and suddenly you want to fly, you grow the claws and the fangs, suddenly you want to suck blood or scratch people open. Uh, there, there's ideas about the way those power ways those powers could expand and what that does to her psyche. I think that's almost the most interesting part for me. And I think that could be re a really cool story as part of a team book in Shi'ar space where she's thrown in and somebody takes the time to give her that love and motivation uh, I, I think she could be a character people really resonate with, with the right energy. There's not a lot of Australian mutants either. There's only a handful. Pyro and uh, uh, Eva Bell. I mean, right there, there's a few. Yeah. Gay, of course. There's a few. Uh, Manifold. But uh, she, she's someone uh, I really would like to see more of. Slipstream is a harder character for me to want to care about. <laughs> he was just... It... I feel that Extreme X-Men would have been just as good if he was cut completely out. Like he he wasn't really needed. And I feel like when you look at sibling characters, their powers are somewhat similar or in the same idea even though when they're different and like here's these two characters that their powers couldn't be more different. So that like for my fan fiction, that's where I also decided like they weren't really siblings. They just used a bit of the Cameron DNA to make her more human looking. Give her the little brother, just kill him off to give her some motivation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, uh, well, do you think she and Thunderbird have fucked? Yes. Did Slipstream yeah. and Storm fuck? 
Storm's in her free air. Storm, def- Storm definitely wanted to. Storm definitely wanted to, but I think she's also realized, like, hey, this, like, how old do you think he was? Like, I was looking at him at, like, 1920. Yeah, I think he's, like, 20. And Storm's in and, and, on the beach for a weekend. Why not? Girl, you go. <laughs> it's, Storm's, like, what at that point? Like, late 20s, early 30s? It's, uh, I mean, yeah, she's like supposed to be 70, <laughs> but she's really like 32 forever. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, I, I could see her being like, oh, he's really hot. I'm going to like make out with him a little bit, but I don't think she would do the deed. Oh, I would totally sleep with a 20 year old lifeguard in Australia. <laughs> if I was like on a weekend fling somewhere and I like, you know, you don't have to have a lot of substance sometimes. It's okay if you're pretty enough. And Davis is really pretty. <laughs> Thank you to uh, Salvador Laraca. Yes, yes. The interesting thing, and and just kind of in conclusion here, Extreme X-Men has a lot of potential. There's some things it does really well. uh, And there's others that you're just like, what is happening? There are all these characters that have never come back in other places. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talked about the villains. We talked about a couple of heroes and allies that were created. Uh, Out of all of them, Lifeguard's my favorite. She's the one that I would want to see have the most potential. And I think people really have... Uh, I think I think there's some really interesting things about her that could be really really cool to explore. She has yeah. uh, kind of I mean I can't say unlimited, but she has vast potential for what her powers can do yeah. and capable of. So you put her in the right situations, and uh, some really interesting things could take place. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on Lifeguard? I, I just think she's such a cool character, and she's got so much potential, and. Like, I, I would really love if I ever had a chance to pitch my idea to an actual Marvel editor. I mean, it this it's a storyline that involves a Shi'ar and Dazzler and Lifeguard and uh, Neil Thunderbird. I, I picked some other interchangeable characters, but I have recently have been really fighting with, like, Frenzy on the team. Uh, but it, it, it's... She's got so much unlock potential well potential that's being hidden right now that needs to be unlocked but no one's really writing about her and bringing the shiar back into the main fold of things could be really cool just uh you know maybe we need a intergalactic x-men team that's not sword Absolutely. They've done some cool stuff with the Shi'ar Empire in the last few years. The Marauders just had a cool arc under Steve Orlando in the Shi'ar Empire. The Secret X-Men kind of stuff. Uh, There's some budding thoughts with uh, all the stuff that's happening with Xandra and different places. Uh, It's never far from the X-Men, that that Shi'ar space. But uh, yeah, I I, I like these stories. So fast forward a couple years, you're pitching your book and Marvel says, yes, we're going to give you everything you want, but you have to use Slipstream instead of Lifeguard. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it doesn't make sense at that point. Uh, JV, it's really fun hanging out with you. These little Patreon episodes are uh, kind of a break from reality. I just get to hang out with a friend <laughs> and talk about nerdy things. And it's always fun. And I uh, I learn a lot as I do these. I, I associate or relate to characters in different ways. So thanks, everybody, for consistently following uh, the Patreon channel. We have a lot of really fun things coming forward. Uh, Jamie, as we're wrapping up, where could people find you online? We're going to put this out in uh, on May 10th. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, you know, it's just I'm, I'm continuing. I'm not really working on anything at the moment, but you can find me on any of the social medias under Jamie Faye X. Uh, I guess the one thing I can announce is a lot of people I've talked to about my fan fiction have said that I should actually put some stuff out. So what I think I'm going to start doing is actually write my story completely out and start releasing it with little covers drawn by me. So you can see a little taste of my writing and my drawings of the characters that I'm using. You're a phenomenal artist, man. Really cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, okay, and then uh, my uh, my social media is private because I've got kids, but you can follow me on Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore lane on Instagram. Uh, we have some cool stuff coming out. The Watching the schedule come together but month by month is one of my greatest joys. It's really fun to see things lining up. Right after we record this episode, we'll be releasing the episode I referenced earlier 
uh, with Jamie, where we uh, we review Wolverine Origins with Mr. Paul Jenkins himself. Uh, the next Patreon episode, right after this one, we're going back to 1980s Madonna punk era, and we're going to review the characters, the Alliance of Evil from early X Factor <laughs> with the uh, incredible novelist uh, uh, Alex Segura, who is uh, just wonderful. Uh, so everybody stay tuned for that as well. We get to talk about Stinger and Time Shadow. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, okay, Jamie, thanks for hanging out today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane.